Welcome to Media Roots Radio. <laughs> this is your host, Abigail Martin. This is Robbie Martin, your co-host, your co-pilot. Sibling time. Um, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> no, we got a lot to talk about. It's been a little bit since we did the show, because it's hard. It's hard to a do the show. A lot of false flags. <laughs> Just blowing the doors off all the false flags that have been happening. <laughs> all the false flags going down. Um, so what, well, let's start with the top one. <laughs> let's start with, with the most prominent false flag of all. Joking, of course, but let's talk about the TSA shooting in the airport. Um, I think it was last Friday, how that guy, I don't even want to say his name because he's an asshole. Um, but his, you know, he's this, he's this scumbag who went into the LAX airport and started just shooting people and killed a TSA agent and ended up getting shot and bled out pretty much on the floor he looks it's really disturbing when you look at the photo um but he's alive shockingly enough but yeah i mean apparently he had in his pocket a note saying you know he he hates the tsa and the new world order and all that stuff and oh new world order yeah 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 and so he was asking people in the airport like are you part of the tsa and people said no and then he just keep walking i don't really know the full story i mean i mean this is all just bits and pieces that i've got together off yeah. Well, the general, whatever the, let's just, I mean, let's just go by what we know from mm-hmm. through the media because that's all we can go by really is that they're trying to portray him or immediately after it went down, they were portraying him as some sort of like, they didn't use the words truther or patriot or libertarian or anything like that, but they were trying to portray him as like a patriot movement, like extreme white ring conspiracy theorist guy Mm -hmm. by the things they were releasing to the press which was what you just said that he i didn't realize he used the phrase new world order Mm -hmm. but the i mean i could say a lot of things about this and why who you know what kind of person may have done this but who really knows like you know um i think it just kind of it does help to reinforce that image that people already have of these types of people as them being crazy you know people who believe in conspiracy theories or who have strong views against government are crazy i mean that's what the public image uh that's what's projected out from an event like this yeah unfortunately it's a lot of misdirected anger like the tsa is a completely yes like i hate the tsa as much as the next person but like it's not the TSA agent's fault, the reason why they exist. Like, this is a, they're just compartmentalized into a giant agency that has been created for no reason. I mean, so it's just, it's just really sad when you see people who are completely unstable to, you know, misdirect their anger at government or whatever on, like, TSA agents and then go and actively, like, try to kill people. Um, it, it is really unfortunate, and and, you know... It's just one of those things, of course, now, you know, of course, we didn't hear, oh, he's a terrorist or anything like that. I mean, it was just a, a, a white male hunting down TSA agents. But of course, we would never hear the words terrorism or terror or terrorist in, in, in that in that whole um, realm of thinking, which is really interesting. But yeah, we don't yet. Maybe yeah. eventually. We, I mean, but we, you know, we do hear it from some of the people who are sort of like generic Democrat really anti-republican people who want to sort of play up that idea of the the white lone right-wing militia type terrorist like those are the people who will use that word to describe something like this but the mainstream media doesn't is what you're saying is they only do when it's someone who's like muslim or 
Arab. You're right. If they want to broaden that that narrative, then yeah. I mean, and we have been waiting for that for them to do that for exactly, a long time. Exactly. Yeah, that's and what I was trying to get. This is like that. this is like the next step is for them to demonize and radicalize like all the people who are in the movement of like the libertarian mindset and the anti-government and like anti-TSA stuff is to get that on board and like the Southern Poverty Law Center has been doing that already saying like all these, you know, right-wing militia groups have spawned off of the election of Barack Obama and they're all like race-baiting crazy white supremacist groups when really like when you look at the list it's like Oath Keepers, We Are Change and I remember arguing with a guy from the Southern Poverty Law Center and I was like, I know these people yeah. really unfortunate that you're lumping them in with this like really hostile list that you are clumping into domestic terrorism and radical extremism when it's not at all and so yeah you're right i almost fell into that trap where and, it, it, that's exactly what they want us to do and and some and the problem is it is hard to differentiate some of that stuff coming at, at it for, as from an outsider perspective like that guy is probably coming at it from an outsider perspective and while i totally disagree with his premise and i think it's and it's really harmful to do stuff like that because calling someone out to be a racist or like violent and or those in combination is actually like it's libelous you know to like mm-hmm. go out it's borderline libelous or whatever i just think it's ethically obviously problematic to do that but if i didn't know anything about infowars or we are change and i went on to some of the comment threads of seemingly discussions by their hardcore fans i would think that there was a very strong undercurrent of racism and or potential violence and in, in just some of the ways that the rhetoric is thrown out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how actually indicative that is of their fans. I've met plenty of people who are in, we are changing Infowars who are very not racist, like normal people, you know, who mm-hmm. are pretty intelligent. And, you know, I've met, you know, a minority of them seem to be the more extreme and actually, genuinely racist thing but you're always going to get that element whenever there's anything anti-government because it sort of evokes it just ties into a lot of things where there is crossover just like how people used to say ron paul you know because stormfront the neo-nazi uh guy like leader promotes ron paul that means that ron paul is associated with white supremacy or neo-nazism no that just means that libertarianism has things that somehow cross over and tie into their philosophy completely indirectly. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's, I just think it's, I don't know. That was an unnecessarily long winded. No, 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 it's true. Like when I was organizing for nine 11, uh, advocacy stuff in San Diego, I got multiple people coming to meetings, just shouting that we need to form a militia and start, you know, taking arms at the streets and i was just like whoa 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 really? like this is really unfortunate that i mean i don't know if they were provocateurs or what but like the point is that they were disrupting and trying to undermine or infiltrate the message and try to make it like this radical like threat mm-hmm. you know and 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 i don't and it could have absolutely just been people who were gravitated toward that message because it was inherently like anti-government and anti-establishment and who knows? I mean, but that is definitely what you're going to attract. And that's the most dangerous thing, I think, is how to filter out these people who are have violent tendencies, who, who just are pissed and, yeah, for, and hate forming the government. A militia, forming a militia and learning techniques of mili- like, you know, guerrilla warfare tactics and stuff. That's I think that's completely awesome. I mean, I actually like advocate for that and on its own. 
but like when it when it sort of mixes together with actual violent rhetoric against the government that's when it gets in sort of dicey territory for me because it's like what are you trying to do other than provoke a situation it seems like you're taking it one step too far like just be comfortable that you know those techniques and tactics and you know but i just i don't know i don't understand that whole like like um positioning yourself as this you know potential threat against the u.s government if they try to come fuck with you like openly and talking that way right that's just my two cents on it no yeah i mean it's it's completely outrageous to just come into a non-violent group and say oh yeah let's take arms now's the time you're like what the fuck are you talking about of course i mean unless you're insane you're like a provocateur even if you're not meaning to because really we're not at that time yet like yes i agree that that maybe sometimes in in historical context of course like things get to a point where you do need you need some like other means of resistance other than just like sitting out and whatever i mean but but we're not there yet i mean right now we're in the strategizing part we're in the organizing part we're in just the informative part where we're trying to inform people on what the hell is going on i mean you can't just go in there and say let's get guns i mean and and that's what's so disturbing about in the light of these shootings is that immediately you hear people saying let's just arm all tsa officers it's like what like why would we arm all tsa officers after this i mean tsa officers are just like you can hire i mean it's just like bizarre it's like they don't go through extensive police training like like police officers do to have a gun i mean these people are just like hired out of high school sometimes college i mean i don't know it just it's just very odd that would be the answer is to just like arm all tsa officers with guns just odd well it's it's and then and then on the other side of it it's completely misdirected rage to go kill you know kill a tsa officer like it's just because they're the low they're like the people carrying out the orders you know or whatever i don't know it's the whole thing is really sad because it it makes it makes and that's the sad thing too is you know you can go back in time just you know before this event happened you know how sad is it that the whole idea of being against tsa pat downs became like a republican issue Mm -hmm. and then like democrats were sort of volleying volleying against it you saw ben affleck's you know say that on the bill maher program where he's like what's the big deal they're just going to touch your dick a little bit like as if it's become a polarized thing already which is just so just tragic because it's like this is actually a, a real violation you know i don't know it's yeah and now that this guy did this he's a you know what i was looking at his photo and i was looking at him just almost dead on the floor and i just i i almost just i just said to myself in my apartment i was like you fucking asshole you fucking scumbag because you you know you you did what you did and and you're an asshole and you're psychotic enough to do what you did and and whatever like you had your reasons and someone's dead all right but now now what you did is actually going to make it so much harder for anyone to protest the tsa to even just criticize the tsa and to advocate for the tsa to be abolished or to change or to reform in any way because you've just completely ruined it and like these actions actually make it so much harder for legitimate advocacy efforts to diminish the ruling and like control that the tsa has and now it'll probably give them more control and it's just like how do you not get that like are you that idiotic i mean obviously this guy is that idiotic well, to take such drastic it, action but 
it's a volatile and this is total speculation because i have no fucking idea who, who this guy really right. is or to believe what the media is telling us about what they found notes or whatever i mean it's very likely that maybe you know he was in like a new world order patriot movement you know anti um tsa you know pro-gun guy like it's very mm-hmm. likely that he is i'm not saying that for sure but what is interesting to me about about what you were just saying and and just this that this guy was a piece of shit you know that he did this i think that it is it is a volatile mixture when you're exposed to the sort of this sort of side of conspiracy culture and it mixes in with pro second amendment and militia culture and it mixes in with anti-government forms of civil disobedience you know quote-unquote civil disobedience you could argue if you know walking marching to dc with loaded guns is civil disobedience i don't think it is i think that's borderline you know violent behavior but uh the i i just think that there's is a volatile mixture that occurs that can potentially be explosive if the wrong type of person is exposed to just the right mix of ingredients and when i say the wrong type of person i mean someone who is not intellectually equipped to deal with the information that they are ingesting over the internet and i don't mean you don't have to be a genius i just mean knowing the difference between bad conspiracies and good conspiracies knowing the difference between civil disobedience and actual illegal you know unnecessary violence um i don't i really don't think a lot of these people are learnt in these sort of subjects you know of just like being a political activist you just brought up a very important point that i want to explore a little bit is that yeah keep going okay well just to finish my point that is that my my i'm not gonna say who it is but i know a a practicing therapist and i sort of described to him you know my fear sometimes of the you know these events being blamed on conspiracy theory culture and his his point of view is that it is very potent. He used the phrase "potent stuff" to describe mm-hmm. some some conspiracies, especially 9/11, certain ones that really evoke a lot of emotion in you. Um, and you know, even the smartest person, uh, most experienced person, could be affected by it in a in a way that might actually drive them towards a form of thinking that isn't rational. You know, where depending on your pre-existing you know mental state it could really push you over the edge into a, into a place of genuine insanity or psychosis, like in a medical sense where you're actually fully disconnected from reality. Mm-hmm. You're delusional. Um, I mean, and I, the, and I'm not saying that he was crazy and that's why he did this, but I don't, I think sometimes there is like a gradient where when you get into this conspiracy stuff, you sort of go in and out of these manic states where you know, for like maybe a 24 hour period, you'll think the government's watching you, mm-hmm. but then it'll die down and you'll be able to go to work the next day, carry on your life. And then maybe a couple of days later, you'll start reading something on the Internet about the New World Order and then start thinking you're seeing New World Order symbols everywhere. Those are pretty much forms of psychosis, I think, in a clinical sense. And and sorry, that's pretty much my the end of my point. But <laughs> Well, I think no, no. I think that you just brought up an extremely important point that we should explore, which is that um, we we've talked about this a lot. Which is that there's two. You're talking about the gradient of kind of psychosis and the reactionary mindset of ingesting this propaganda from the establishment, and you have two counter. 
Yes, you have what two- it feels like to be in the headspace, even if you're, you know, like you or me. Imagine what mm-hmm. you felt like when you were experiencing the emotion of 9-11 and what it might actually feel like to go crazy and sort of compare the two. That's yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah. And, and, and think about that comparatively to the right after 9-11, which is where people were reacting to learning that terrorists, Arab terrorists did this to us. And so think about that headspace where people were so vitriolic and saying, I want to kill people. I'm so hateful that I want people to die because of what happened to this country, because of what happened to people that I I maybe know um, and how it's violated our rights and how we're doing all these things basically to react to the fact that Arab Islamic extremists hijacked planes and, and took down buildings and killed thousands of people. That headspace is completely comparable to the headspace of learning that your government is complicit in in mass murder Mm -hmm. and has absolutely no regard whatsoever for human life, especially American life. I mean, these two headspaces are almost comparable when you're looking at how do you react? And, And the first way of reacting is acceptable, right? Societally, like in a society where we're indoctrinated with the war on terror and you know we're engaged in these endless wars and we're completely consumed with this notion of islamic extremism that we're fighting collectively right Mm -hmm. so that's completely acceptable but once you learn about kind of the dark history the censored history of how these things happen and false flags and in a historical sense and you realize that yes the u.s government knew about 9-11 at the very least and to wrap your mind around that and then the anger the anger that you have to transfer from what you first learned about 9-11 to now, that mm-hmm. anger, how do you channel that when society turns their back on you? Do you know what I mean? And so and so that's a oh, whole yeah. nother sense of like, how do we deal with that? It's overwhelming. It's completely overwhelming. And then when you have people who are kind of guiding you off the deep end, like on top of that, realizing, oh my God, you know, that this could be the opposite of what I've learned. And then on top of that, I'm kind of being led off a cliff. Yeah. And when you say being let off a cliff, it's like being pushed into this world way too fast right. in an accelerated fashion without the tool set to right. deal with it, right. to, to absorb it and functionally work with it into your everyday thinking process and cha- challenging your paradigms on a fundamental level is, is awesome. I mean, that's what people should be striving to do all the time. But but you need a support system of sorts. Exactly. You can't You can't just... That's in exact. That's perfectly said. I couldn't say it any better. You do need us and some kind of just mental framework. And you know, people. You know, there's scientific da- data that even says that um, your brain is not fully developed f- in a physical, biological sense until you reach the age of 25. Wow. So you know, you feel like you're on top of the world and invincible when you're like 17, or you know, from the ages for your early 20s, and you know, w- until whenever, but. In reality, you're still like your brain is still developing. You wow. know, there's a part of your brain that's actually has not grown yet fully, and that part of your brain is the part that will tell you, will sort of remind you when things are not when you're not invincible. Like you shouldn't drive this car 100 miles per hour down this windy road. Like that's the part of your brain that's not formed yet when you're. And I and I'm not I don't remember the name for that part of the brain. I mm-hmm. feel kind of dumb talking about it without knowing it, but that. But, uh, yeah, it's, that's true. Um, and this guy was, what, it was 21? 23. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised that, I guess I'm surprised that, like, 
there isn't more talk within the movement about the potential for like mm-hmm. the to trigger psychosis like there has to be a middle ground there can't just be this fucking you know everything's a conspiracy like it's just it's it is it will push people into the deep end it's inevitably i think yeah of course and like it's hard enough to you know grasp all of these things that we're talking about but it's it's a whole nother level to be at the mindset that everything is a conspiracy and that's and that's very very difficult especially if you're just getting involved in questioning these these sort of paradigms and and then you and then you're launched into this space this headspace where you just think that everything is is conspiratorial and that everything's part of this new world order agenda and Man, I mean, you're right. There really should be some sort of facilitation for group, like, not therapy, but I mean, just like group, like, help and and just like an avenue for people to say, hey, I know this is really shocking, but let's talk about it. And, And I think that that's, it's almost like there is a whole dogma within the conspiracy culture where it's like, if you don't believe everything that we're advocating, then you're a shill, then we don't accept you. And that we're going to ridicule you. And so I think it's like it's easier for some people to just completely wholeheartedly launch into that. And then once you do, I mean, there really is no turning back because that whole movement turns against you very quickly unless you go along with everything that it proposes, which is completely absurd. Because that's just that's a that's as crazy as believing everything the government tells you. I mean, our our whole the whole movement initiated by just questioning everything, which includes the claims that, you know, the alternative media movement is making. So there's a huge void to be filled, basically, is what we're saying, is that there's a huge gap to be filled. And there's a lot of volatility with this switch over with your mind, with this this whole opening your mind to different possibilities and questioning more. There's a whole thing that needs to accompany that, which is that we need to have a support system. We need to have a base of, of not friendship, but camaraderie among people where it's not strictly just based in judgment where we're actually open and and to listening and helping people through this transition because really right now we're probably at the farthest extreme of that and you know i'm not surprised that things like this happen out of that well no i mean and and just for clarification we're not necessarily saying i mean i don't know correct me if i'm wrong but i'm not saying that this shooter was that what we're just talking about right now. No, 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 no. We don't know anything. We, yeah. Yeah. But it is, it is really troubling. I mean, this is a subject we, we have just talked about more and more. And it seems like anytime something like this happens, um, it comes up because there are a lot of people out there, some, some really big outlets that are pushing and making money off of and continuing to exacerbate levels of fear and paranoia to unseen heights in, in American culture, at least unseen since I've been alive. I have not, you know, we, you know, we only recently have we been starting to see opinions of other random other people over the internet in the form of YouTube comments. So, but it feels to me like it's getting worse. It's just, there's so, but it's like, I just wish some of these people they would realize the the responsibility that they have by holding a lot of these people at bay and they keep re-injecting them with fear that they would also make it clear to them or their listeners or their readers that there is a difference between real and false conspiracies and you have to have a discerning 
I, when you're looking at this stuff, you can't just jump on board every conspiracy, but instead they want the hits. They want the, um, the repost. So any, any event they seize on it and they keep re-injecting on the same fear because ultimately, I guess to them, it's not important if it goes too far and if it goes too far, then maybe in a way it'll almost like make them mar- martyrs like they've always wanted to be and make the, and the government might actually have to crack down or start to like, you know, look with a more critical eye at people who do believe in things like, um, you know, militia, uh, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. Or, or conspiracies. You, when you have monopolized it's like a prophecy, absolutely. It's just like the war on terror, Robbie. That's what I'm saying. It's just like the war on terror, but the other side of it, it's the opposite side of this whole terrorism argument. It's it's astounding, actually, the way it's proliferated in our culture. It really has this this innate kind of distrust in government has has manifested into a crazy. And I'm not saying that everyone's crazy who questions government. Of course, you have to listen. It's at the extreme side of it, the extreme side of it, and it's the complete opposite end. And it's still the same problem. And and you know, part of me, my these are my conspiracy mode kicks in is part of me thinks that maybe this was even by design, you know, (laughs) I mean, in terms of like the government becoming so overtly fascistic and totalitarian acting during the war on terror after 9-11, like combined with that, trying to get us to hate Arabs and Muslims and want to kill them. That's what the government did. We know that's not a conspiracy theory. They did that. Right. Completely intentional. (laughs) They just fucking wanted us to fucking want to kill millions of people i mean that's a really intense thing that they did to us but they did but on top of that they also continued to act like they could do whatever they wanted to do and keep making us afraid and they they made us feel like they were our protectors while acting at the same time like they could go around the world and do anything they wanted to and if we got out of line we could be in their their crosshairs too so i guess what i'm saying is it's not to me it's not it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that that this culture i mean let's think about it in the clinton era the, the media was trying to hype up and sort of demonize and portray the militia culture as a huge threat to the country so like there was a distinct effort to do that back then and i and i really don't think that maybe that maybe you know i'm i'm not saying it was planned but i mean they couldn't be probably be more happy with the results of the militia culture actually seemingly presenting themselves as violent and crazy now. Like, cause if you go on any internet website and look at any comment or most of the shit out there, it's, it's like it plays exactly into the hand of the people who want to demonize those people and scapegoat them. Oh yeah. I've said that for years that the establishment, even if they're not designing this or injecting it directly, they're loving it. They're loving it. They're cultivating it. They're they're fostering it. They're jerking off to it. I mean, this is this is what they love. They love this. So even if this isn't just facilitated directly by them, absolutely couldn't be happier. I mean, but I wanted to say one thing before we move on, which is you're talking about kind of this this conspiracy monopoly, and I think that the problem is that. And it's so damaging when you have a monopoly on conspiracy theories and when you have people profiting off, you know, the conspiracy culture um, 
And then there is no discernment on what's a real conspiracy and what's a false conspiracy. Because that's, that's when you look at the whole discussion and dialogue about conspiracy theories, that's pretty much the most damaging thing is that we have no differentiation between what's a crazy batshit lunatic conspiracy. There is no founding at all. And what's a legitimate, provable, historical conspiracy that's even been admitted through government well, and the, documents. Yeah, and the term conspiracy in general just, it almost, it it, it definitely is almost unnecessary like, to describe it. Like, I think that, that what you were saying, like state crimes against humanity is a better against phrase for yeah. it. So against democracy, because... There are so many examples of that that you don't even have to use the word conspiracy theory mm-hmm. to describe it. And the Nixon dirty tricks, you know, the plumbers, the, you know, that you were, we were talking about that before we started this broadcast. But even that, you know, that falls under that category. But it's not necessarily a conspiracy. You know, it could have just been one guy who went out there on his own and, you know, wanted to sway the direction. You're right. No, Nixon. this is the t- we should actually be trans transferring the language immediately because conspiracy doesn't even it doesn't even give enough credit to the to the massive level of conspiracy going on at the state level we really should be calling it yeah. state crimes against democracy because it really is i mean when you have a state perpetuating this sort of conspiratorial hold over something or facilitating something that's so crazy like that like that is a whole another level i mean conspiracies are like arguably just you know it's a couple people conspire conspiring I mean, but when you have it on a state level, that's so much more powerful that it really should be held to a completely different construct. And I think it's definitely fair to try to start using that language when describing things that we know are state, you know, state run and, and on a state level. And it, well, it's just, it is so absurdly dumb how the mainstream media is trying to turn the phrase conspiracy into something like embarrassing because just think about it think about how often it occurs in regular daily life at the highest levels just the idea of price fixing an industry price fixing and what i mean by price fixing is secretly because this is technically illegal but it happens constantly and it's known to happen all the time is corporations that serve the same industry will get together in secret and all regulate their prices to sort of match each other so that there isn't the problem with like people undercutting each other's goods with like really cheap prices. Like that's how big corporate America works is they regulate the prices through collusion and a conspiracy between the different companies secretly working together. Robbie, that's the way our entire government runs right now. Our entire government is run on a conspiratorial mindset of profit maximization and whatever like is, that's what's so funny. It's just amazing. And it's not the biggest conspiracy of all. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, you know, the, the term conspiracy you know, it, it's defined as some people like colluding in secret with each other, right? Is that yeah? Is that the term? It's just yeah. But it's two people conspiring to yeah to do something it, harmful. But in secret or mm-hmm. or okay. yeah 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 because you know some asshole intellectual you know debunker type person could go around saying well these people in the government aren't doing it in secret they're you know it's out in the open so therefore it's not a conspiracy (laughs) well in reality most people don't know that most people just most people don't know the details of how it actually takes place like and i'm sure they do things that are completely hidden too so like but we don't know necessarily what all those things are but yes you can if you do enough research you could find out how they're colluding and who they're bribing and who they're getting bribed by, but it's not, 
it's not, that doesn't mean it's not a secret because it is. I mean, it's sort of like an open secret in a sense. Right, unless you research what, I mean, yeah, of course, yeah. Obama's not getting millions of dollars from banks in secret. Of course, that's open source knowledge. But the thing is, he's not going out on television and saying Goldman Sachs gave me $50 million. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, these things, yes, they're on paper, technically, but we're not, they're not like public knowledge. And I think that that's, that's a really important point. And you know, unfortunately, we, we live in a culture where there, there's been such an industry made off of this, you know, off of this notion of conspiracies that unfortunately we, it's just, it's just so far gone where you won't have these people who have monopolized this industry to ever question any sort of government event in, the, in a realistic, legitimate, credible way because they mm-hmm. will immediately jump to it's a false flag, it's this and that, and then you have, of course, all of these people just latching onto that, and, and then, of course, it doesn't turn out to be true, but they can't backpedal, so they have to keep justifying and overreaching to justify their own consensus, which is, it's just so destructive in the long run. I just can't stress that enough. I mean, I... Well, it is, and, and you know, there are plenty of people out there, you know, there are conspiracy theorists you know, I hate using that phrase, but let's just use it for just the fucking sake of the radio show to get our point across. There are conspiracy theorists, authors, and writers, and people who do work that I really like and appreciate, and I don't agree with everything they say. And I think some of their research is not great or thorough, but, you know, some of their stuff is really awesome. Um, um, one that I really like that I have that almost have like no problems with as far as his like quality of writing is, is Mike Rupert and crossing the Rubicon specifically is, is probably the best single book on nine 11, uh, besides, you know, Paul Thompson's terror timeline book, which is just basically a compilation of all the history org stuff. Um, but crossing the Rubicon has a really great section in it about how, you know, he had heard of all these other theories from other sort of mm-hmm. researchers around the same time that he was doing writing for his book. And a lot of them he found compelling. He thought they were interesting, but they didn't necessarily line up with all the other available evidence that to him was irrefutable. You know, certain things like mm-hmm. Bin Laden was a real person and he was not an, mm-hmm. an an actor, you know, a guy in makeup for the CIA. Like Zawahiri is a real guy. Um, their connection to the government are debatable, but they're, they're like real people. They're not just like simply (laughs) characters, you know, in a, in a movie, like what a lot of people like, so it's just things like that. And he, and he goes on to say that he comes from the background of being a police detective. And for him using that sort of detective mindset where you're, where you're, you're using your gut and your intuition to lead you into certain places, but you're at the same time, you're not believing any evidence that you that you like that lines up with your theory right if it's contradictory to the available provable evidence you know what i mean so if if there's evidence out there you can't just discount it for out of convenience and be like well you know this theory i like this theory better Mm -hmm. because you have to you have to be logical about it yeah, and, and, and a lot of this is missing, and, right. and that's a lot of you know conspiracy writers are missing too. Like the whole thing about the hijackers from nine eleven still being alive. It's just a really easy piece of evidence to discount on its face because 
why why aren't any of them talking where are they right and of, of course just, like a, a ton of muslim names are the same and it's just like i it's just completely uncredible and, and mike rupert was on the show and before we started the interview i said what do you think the most credible piece of of 9-11 is and he said the insider trading and he gave a really good explanation of why it's so irrefutable that of course at least high level people who are in wall street knew yeah. and yeah. bet that these stocks would fail and the airliners and all these things and made massive amounts of money off it and and anything else i mean you can you can argue about 9-11 all day long but that is an irrefutable piece of evidence that proves absolutely that people on wall street knew that these attacks were going to happen not only knew about it but made massive profits and, and if that doesn't disgust you then then really i don't know what what will and and oliver stone i even can i even asked him i said i said really i said you really don't think <laughs> i was like you really don't think that 9-11 was at least allowed to happen because we were just talking about it and he said what he said you know i'll look at it again he said what's the best pe what's the best book you recommend i read and i said crossing the rubicon well that's that's a perfect book to recommend to him because he he loves his history yeah and he's very knowledgeable about other world events and geopolitics and that book probably the only other book that does it besides crossing the rubicon is is uh 9-11 synthetic terror but no, webster, tarpley, webster tarpley has too way too much of an ideology that <laughs> that colors his work and he asserts a lot of things in his book without enough evidence i right. think but mike rupert does a really good job of leaving a lot of the questions just floating out there and not necessarily explaining, you know, every, every aspect of it. And it's sort of, that's what synthetic terror is sort of the opposite. Right. But there are some, there are just like I was saying earlier, there are, there are things in synthetic terror that are really interesting. And that I haven't seen anywhere else that are, that are like backed up by sources. Like there's a, an example in the book about how apparently we were on nuclear, we were like mm -hmm. poised for nuclear war after 9-11 because we were put on like the highest level of alert and and Putin had to personally call President Bush and have him like explain that they weren't going to like shoot, like shoot nukes at Russia on 9-11. That was in all these newspapers at the time. And that's, I never heard of that. Like that's mm -hmm. a really interesting fact, factoid <laughs> about 9-11. Um, but I don't know. We should do a but little bit. Yeah, I, I think I, I honestly think that people would be surprised um, because I was because I think that when people see people like Oliver Stone and, and people who are high profile people and who have been exposed to this information, even done, you know, entire bodies of work on it. And then they say, you're a shill, you're this and that because you haven't done this or that. And I, I just think that people would be surprised to learn that. I, I honestly don't know if they are intentionally like. It's not that these people are intentionally like lying. I mean, I think a lot of these times these people just don't haven't even entertained it. it it's shocking to say, but I think it's true. And and think about, you know, Oliver Stone came from a, a generation where, you know, imagine how cynical it would make you to, to see and experience Martin Luther King. JFK, RFK, all being sh assassinated, like within like a right. three-year time period or four-year time period or something like that. Just imagine how intense that would be. And then to come from like the hippie optimism, the post-Vietnam era, you know, uh, to this like weird malaise when things just got really <laughs> bizarre and, and the corporations started to get more and more powerful. I mean, 
honestly, if I was his age, just speaking for myself, I don't know if I would be able to go there either. I don't know if I would want to, because even though I, I believe the truth will set you free in a general sense. I mean, in a, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd like to believe that, but I don't know if I would, if being free equals being like blissfully, you know, happy, you know, in your old age and, you know, dying, knowing that your kids are going to live in a better world kind of a thing. Yeah. Even even though it might be a delusion. I mean, I don't know. I, I I honestly don't know if I could go there. Right. If I was like 70 years old or 60 years old right now. Right. You know, I, I, even on the show, I, 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 brought that up and i just said you know you really you can't look at mom i mean like she totally right like you know and after enough stuff she she saw and like she went she totally went i think but but think about it would mom have done that if we and the thing is would we have done that if we didn't have the base of support i'm just this was when he you asked him how do you think the public could react (laughs) if they knew that people inside the u.s government assassinated the president of the united states and he completely, <laughs> completely ignored your question. And I think that the re- part of the reason that he did, and this I think might be more of a conscious choice for him, is to not, it's like, not that he's backpedaling away from what he presented on the movie JFK, but it's more like he doesn't necessarily want to be associated with that assertion. Maybe mm-hmm. he believes it now, but he, he wants people to like come to that conclusion themselves and I think maybe it's a little bit too risky to talk like that these days and actually mm-hmm. say that, yeah, the government, somebody, people inside the government killed Kennedy and got away with it. Like to just declare that, you know? And like, then, and then to also project what you think the American people almost should do as a response. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's almost like a whole nother level. It's like, well, well, it's cause yeah, you don't even want to, it's like, you can't even get to that part but without yeah. acknowledging that that is a possibility and right. he, i don't think he wants to do that at least publicly i mean maybe i don't know ask him about that next time well you i did yeah no it was i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but some someone other really some other really interesting person that i met was this guy who was starting this venture with glenn greenwald which is i, I don't even remember his name but he's the working guy from with, ebay the billionaire no no that's pierre it was this other guy. There's like five people starting this. It's Jeremy Scale, Glenn Greenwood, Laura Petraeus, and this this guy that I completely forget his name because I'm horrible with names. He had curly hair. He was like, I don't even know. He works for HuffPo. But it was just really fascinating because he was just talking about this this venture, and I was just like, holy shit, can you imagine just getting, you know, handed pretty much millions of dollars to, to create your own media network? And it was just really, really interesting. I mean... What do you what think do you about Glenn Greenwald leaving? Well, what did this? Can you share anything that this guy? Yeah, I mean, to I mean, the guy. It? I mean, the guy basically said that it's going to be not like any other news station, of course, where you're not just like setting up major bureaus in the big cities, you know, like where they're actually just going to find the most talented journalists in the world and create teams around them. Yeah. So it's just an interesting model. I mean, it's just completely a new model. And I was just like, well, I would imagine that the hardest part is to have a team of journalists being able to be managers. It was like, obviously, you're going to need someone who isn't a journalist. (laughs) Like, I'm just thinking, like, I wouldn't be able to run a, you know, a media network. Like, I mean, you know, you need you. I mean, I'm obviously Pierre is a billionaire and he created something because he's business savvy as fuck, of course. So I'm assuming that he knows what he's doing. But I would just imagine that it would be hard to hire five 
like amazing badass journalists and say create this thing like obviously you need a lot more strategizing and planning in terms of the business side and model and how you're going to sustain this and and whatnot so he said it's just all in the experimental phase right now but it's really exciting i mean it's just insane well i i, I that's i kind of think we just asked what i think about him leaving if it's in the experimental phase i kind of like confirm some of my fears about why I'm I'm concerned that he's doing this at I guess what I would consider a crucial time for what he's involved in right now is the Snowden leaks. So I guess my hope is that when he transitions over to this place or when he does stuff from there, that the transition will be seamless and there won't be like any slowdown in his releases or re- reveals of what he's going to talk about. So. Yeah, no, I don't think that they're going to wait till they have this giant TV network up and running. I think it's going to be an ongoing operation. I think that they'll at least get a website up really, really quick. Because as Glenn Greenwald said in his departure letter to the Guardian, he was like, look, this is going to be like months. He's like, I'm going to have this up and running very quickly. It's going to be a very easy transition. And so I think, yes, we might not see a proficient, like, you know, Huffington Post style counterpart up and running in the next couple months. But I think that what we will see is at least... At least a splash page where Greenwald can get his work out, where at least they can start facilitating content and and attention until it builds, which I would hope that that would be what would happen. I mean, that would be the most reasonable thing to happen. I'm I have some sort of like hope that they're like keeping a big secret for like the launch of this page. Like that's going to be. Like boom, like we, this is why we moved from away from the Guardian because like they it was like too big even for them kind of a thing, but I don't know if that's gonna happen. But I hope it does. Yeah, I hope that had something to do with why he moved because even though the Guardian seemed really brave about it, and I saw them, I saw other people who like run the Guardian being interviewed about it. They seemed totally on board with the philosophy behind what was going on. Um, but you never really know what happens behind the scenes. You know, I mean, Greenwald's not going to talk about an argument he's having with his boss, you know, Mm -hmm. in the office about the content of the article. I mean, so, and, and he says he's never been censored at the guardian. I'm sure they've never taken an article he's written and like filtered through it, but he knows just like anybody else does, like what people's limitations are or what, where the ceiling is kind mm-hmm. of, so to speak, like there is a ceiling for anybody who's big as the guardian. They're not gonna, they have too much of a reputation to uphold to like do something that could be potentially like shut them down. Like, you know, they don't want to be shut down probably. I don't yeah, know. of course, of course. There's, there's a line, you know, and right. I, and hopefully this billionaire eBay dude is going to take the risk and not give a fuck because when I first heard about it, I got worried because I thought that eBay owned PayPal, and if that's true, then that means that like it was eBay's decision to do the Blocked the thing where they blockaded leaks, WikiLeaks, yeah. and if this guy is still a major stockholder and he sits on the board that's weird i'm surprised that that hasn't been addressed i haven't seen anybody address that and i also and heard, yeah. was really uh, against that blockade he wrote about it more than anybody else like i would well, imagine that that's i mean i don't think glenn Greenwald would have joined on to a team that was facilitating like blockading funds to for yeah i mean i don't reasons. know how involved this guy is right. with that so hopefully not at all right no it is it is it, i mean it's it's i also had the same concerns because i was thinking even yes 250 million dollars does sound like a lot 
But anyone who works in media knows that that goes really quickly, especially when you're building studios and hire. I mean, and running full time like 20. I mean, I don't know what this is going to be like, but like that shit runs out really quickly. So you have to look at like what's going to be sustaining this operation. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to get corporate advertisers and that's a whole nother ball game. I mean, I don't know. Well, what I what I think would probably be the best thing they could do, and maybe they already have a plan to do this, is to somehow buy out like somebody's already existing like studio, like setup or something where they already have like like or someone else's like TV network or something like that might. I mean, that would be the quickest way to do. It. I don't know what they're gonna do as far as like a video thing. Right. Though. I mean, no one. It's very unclear. Right. <laughs> and that's one of my hope is that the experimental just means that it's like they're they've already decided to do this experiment it's ready to go not right, like right, right. we're writing by this you know the seat of our Let's pants see. and we have no <laughs> fucking idea what we're gonna we'll do see in a lunch. couple of years yeah in costa rica <laughs> okay I, I just hope it's gonna be just hard-hitting stuff and it's oh comes i'm out sure regularly. it will be yeah no i'm sure it will be and i'm sure it'll be it's, great it is just you know it's confusing right now because i think a lot of people are really looking at greenwald hoping you know that they really look to him for their daily kind of update and they just want things to be you know they want things to be up and up and timely and they don't want him to be gone for a long time and we just want to keep it keep it going. So I think Scahill and Greenwald are really like at the forefront right now, and we don't want them to be lost off the map and be kind of developing shit for years. I mean, right now is like you said, it's a really crucial time, and we can't afford to have them be gone right now. Like we need them out there fighting, arguing for on behalf of the people and stuff like that. So I think that we know that they wouldn't have done what they did if they were gonna take that much time off because they understand how crucial the time is. So. I would imagine that, you know, we just got to have faith, Robbie, just like Obama. You know, we just got to have faith in these people because, you know, I, I just really trust Obama. And when I hear things like he says that he's just really good at killing people, like, you know, Obama just came out and said, like, you know, he just really, really, he just fucking kills it at killing. <laughs> 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 He's just killing it, bro. Um you know, anyone who thinks that Obama's like a good guy and and that he cares about human life, I mean, I don't really know what more evidence you need because not only did we find out earlier this year that the drone architect said, John Bellinger said, that Obama's killing more people with the drones is because he just doesn't want to, av- he just wants to completely avoid get Guantanamo Bay. Like, he doesn't want to deal with Gitmo at all. He doesn't want to deal with the bad press. So he's just killing people as opposed to capturing them and keeping them at Guantanamo Bay. That in itself is despicable and horrendous to think that he would just outright execute people as a constitutional lawyer instead of, like, putting them through a trial process. On top of that, he's just boasting to his aides that he's just so good at fucking killing people. He's just so fucking good at it, dude. You know what he is? I I I give him that. He's really, really good at it. That's one thing that he's good at, is that. Well, apparently, I mean... And, you know, I don't even know who who he's referring to when he says he's good at killing people. He must mean, like, all these drones, Al-Qaeda terrorists that he's, like, targeting, you know, and ridding the world of or whatever. But um, I don't know. I mean, it is really disgusting. And I'm, and I'm glad. I'm just really, really relieved that the Obama honeymoon is completely over. I never see anyone that I know or respect anymore promoting him, <laughs> talking positively about him openly 
Maybe in private amongst themselves they do and will not know because they're embarrassed. It's embarrassing now to be pro-Obama and actually go out there and, and promote him. It really yeah. is. And uh, I was talking to a friend at a, a party the other night, um, and he was he was just like, the litmus test now is uh, if people are still now defending Obama, and that's like the litmus test for like, you know, just true stupidity. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I really, I got to say that. Like, if you're still out there defending Obama now, there is no hope for you. Like, if this, if this wasn't, didn't push you over the edge, right. the NSA thing. I mean, come on. I mean, God, there's, there's absolutely no going back. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk really, really quickly about the, the new... I mean, the, the latest update is I had this family on from Pakistan. Really tragic story. It's heart-wrenching. Heart-wrenching. Yeah, I mean, the, this family, their, their grandmother got blown up by a drone. I mean, just picture right now your grandmother. You know, a, a, such a central part of your family, a really, you know, a foundational rock to the stability of your family and your lineage and like just holding together all these things and just one day you're just out there talking to her and laughing with her and then a, and then a bomb falls from the sky and blows her body into pieces in front of you. That's what ha that's that's what's happening every day in these drone wars and, and and you know this is just the story of just one family this happened to and and you can hear these statistics about you know you know, dozens of people who are militants and whatever, but but really, like every person that dies in these drone wars has a family of dozens of people because that's how close these people are. When you're living in a village, everyone is like family. So you have hundreds of people who are connected to you and who rely on you, and you serve a purpose to their lives, and and you're blown up in front of all these people, in front of you know nine-year-old children. And they, they live the rest of their life seeing that image. Um, and so this family called the Rahmans came to the U.S. from Pakistan um, after a lawyer came in and got them in Pakistan because their lawyer was actually denied a visa to enter the U.S. Shazad oh, Akbar. He was denied a visa to enter the U.S. So this woman had to go fly out to Islam, like whatever Islamabad um, to get these people, they had to go through the process of getting birth certificates because the the Wazirikstan village or whatever that they live in, they don't issue birth certificates. I mean, it's a village in Pakistan and they it's just a completely different way of life. And so in order to travel, you need to get all this documentation. And so it was just a, a months and months of getting this family here. And I'm sure people who watch the corporate media and even the Daily Show know that when Malala... Um, took her tour to the U.S., that, that young, amazing, you know, 13-year-old teenage girl from Pakistan as well, who survived, tragically, um, a Taliban gunshot to her head. Shit, she, yeah. she survived a gunshot to the head, and now she speaks out really bravely about education and how important it is and how she'll never step down. And, and you know, just her survival story. And she met personally with Obama. She went on The Daily Show. She did the whole... Around. I mean, I remember the entire week, it was just everywhere. And deservedly so. This woman's incredible, she's brave, she needs to have her story told. However, it's just extremely interesting to see this whole family going through absolute hell to come to the U.S. to testify. Five representatives showed up. Five representatives showed up to hear them testify out of 435 people Rand in Paul? office. I don't even know if Rand Paul was there. I know Alan Grayson... 
I don't even know if Rand Paul was there. It's a really good. I don't, I don't remember who was there. I just remember the number five because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, wow, five people felt it necessary to hear this family's story who had traveled thousands of miles, you know, went through really hell to, to tell their story. And then, of course, the media ignores them. Obama isn't going to meet with them. No, no, because it puts the U.S. in a bad light. <laughs> it's not the type of story you want to see. The Malala uh, going around to the media, that that was spun in the media. And mm-hmm. that w- that way we always talk about on the show that... Just to remind you again of 9-11 and why we're fighting the war on terror. Yep, Taliban. Yeah. Even though the Taliban had nothing to do with 9-11. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> neither It's all does. lumped in together now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. I was watching some uh, uh, Al- Al-Waki videos again uh, recently. Just some old videos he made, like speeches and stuff and mm-hmm. a lot of them are in english and they're they're interesting to watch if you don't if you just have never like watched i mean because you you sort of get a perspective on you know this is one of the main enemies the united states was supposedly trying to get you know re- of of recently i guess uh but he's just talking about how um he he refers to al-qaeda a few times but he he refers mostly to people who are doing martyrdom and like suicide bombing as mujahideen. Like mm. the term that he keeps using is the more general, like the holy warrior, the jihadist, uh, someone who wants to commit jihad is, is mujahideen. I guess that's what it translates to in Arabic. Um, so that's just like a, something that I, I've been watching recently. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he talks about, he, he, talks a lot about Nadal Hassan. I guess he talks about how the U S government doesn't want to release the email conversations they had together because of, it just shows how, um, a U S soldier can learn to like, hate the United States government based on their foreign policy. Um, but then he does, he says that Nadal Hassan like wasn't, um, I think he kind of overtly says he wasn't like at some sort of agent recruited. It was more just like he got genuinely fed up and like snapped based on Mm -hmm. being so fed up with American foreign policy. Apparently. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. It's just an interesting perspective that, you know, you don't, you just don't usually like see it in their own words. You know, these supposed enemies are for the best. I was just thinking how funny it is that whole phrase America's exceptional because we really are, but in all of the worst ways, I was just thinking the other day, I was thinking, how is the American exceptional? I want to do like a monologue on this, but I was thinking obesity, anorexia, prescription pill abuse, mental illness, you know, like warfare, <laughs> like all of the like most shameful, <laughs> horrible <laughs> aspects of idea. American culture are exceptional, of course. You know, not providing people with uh, maternal care. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's, that's something to be proud of, all right? We definitely are exceptional. You absolutely are right. But in what ways? Legitimately. Like, if you look at the facts. That's a really good idea. It's yeah. really sad. It's God, true. it's just sad. It's like, I wish that it weren't so easy. But, alas. Um. Well, you know, the good thing is we at least aren't bombing syria right now i guess i mean even though israel already already did israel bombed them on friday did you know that i heard about that yeah they bombed some sort of um 
supposed weapon stockpile or something. Yeah, Robbie, you gotta get the you gotta get those weapons down. Yeah, you gotta blow those weapons up. And then there's all this, you know, I don't know what to believe in the media when I see stuff like this, but there's all this, what seems like bullshit stories coming out about how Obama once again offended or defied Netanyahu by like leaking this, that they did that or something. No, it's stupid. Like there's this, there's a strange <laughs> point of view that Obama is being like really like adversarial with Israel, not letting them like walk all over him or something, which seems like kind of like bs to me from who seems, who's saying that i don't know i just sort of see stories that mm-hmm. are presenting that angle sometimes like that apparently netanyahu secretly like hates obama he thinks he's like an asshole or really disrespectful or something um, yeah well that has been kind of perpetuated even ever since obama got strange. elected is that like him and netanyahu are like at odds and they're just kind of putting up a front and mm-hmm. it seems like he's pretty good friends to me i mean even yeah, if you i mean, I mean who knows? I mean, even if changed. even if they're not personally friends, I yeah, mean, the, the fact that their policy still the same that they don't like the, the they're two of the most like crazy um, countries as far as like the way they use their military. Hey, did you hear things. about that? And oh my god, did you hear? And speaking of Israel and the U.S. standing against the fucking world, did you hear about that UN vote, the UN General Assembly vote that was um, basically just totally condemning the the Cuban embargo. 188 no. countries. This was an unprecedented vote, Robbie. Never this heard has of happened. This, this has happened 22 years in the last 22 years in a row. This has happened, where basically the overwhelming majority of the world's leaders will say, "This is ridiculous. Why is there an embargo against Cuba?" But never, ever before has it been every single country versus the U.S. and Israel, and that's what it was. It was an unprecedented 188. And I think it's because of all this NSA stuff. I think people are just like, fuck you. Like, who are yeah. you? You know, and I think really the tide is turning because 188 countries versus two, two countries, Israel and the United States, overwhelmingly criticize and condemn the Cuban embargo that has been in place for no reason. Decades old Cuban embargo that is making the people of Cuba suffer this international blockade for absolutely no reason other than a cold war grudge based on nothing legitimate in present day at all other than to punish the people it is a very interesting turning point in history and i don't think people are going to be like talking about it a lot for many years to come because it's just you see these things start small that's a very small gesture maybe on the larger scale of things but it it has a huge significance that there are that there's a lot of anger probably mm-hmm. coming from all these world you know these world leaders right now and rightly so like i mean you know they probably were dumb about obama and they were gullible thinking maybe that he would be less imperialistic than bush or whatever but i don't think that there's any doubt now there is no doubt no, None. God, I would hope not. I mean, as far as just the overreach in power, maybe right. not necessarily like the fascistic. Um, well, I guess that would be the one and the same. I mean, it's it's like the rhetoric. This weird thing with Obama is his rhetoric is really soft and nice and friendly and like and um, intelligent sounding, but this overreach is in some ways even more fascist and like totalitarian um, violation of every ethics. Uh, you know, standard in the world than what anything Bush did. 
in a, in a and sense. And that what I shows mean, going, how sad is that we just that's that's all it takes is just literally a change in words. Yeah, and fake like appearance. You know, he's not he's not a dumb Texan. He's like a black um, half black uh, like you know world traveler guy. He like grew up in you know yeah. all these different places and yeah, he's a smart dude. He's really good. <laughs> Man, I love him. If only he I was, love him. If only he wasn't Kenyan. Just kidding. <laughs> it's such a I mean, if only he was born here because he's not an American citizen. If only he wasn't. Oh, you guys didn't traitor. know we were birthers? Sorry, we were. Abby and I are birthers. <laughs> if only, if only he wasn't Kenyan. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's he's unfortunate not an American. He's Kenyan. Because really. Just full disclosure, besides watching your show, I haven't. I don't even think I've listened to like any radio news for the last couple of weeks. Like, I envy you. I'm totally out of the loop. I saw the, I see my news inadvertently through Facebook sometimes. So yeah. I saw the TSA shooting thing on there. I wanted to do a backtrack a little bit to when we were talking about 9-11. I'm going to just publicly muse about this idea. We should do a 9-11 update every episode so we can sort of compartmentalize yeah, because when everything's we, related to this event, so we might as well. Yeah, and there's just there's things that come up once in a while that are new, good information, or just new things that come up about 9-11. And uh, one of the ones that, that's happened since we last talked is there's this new movie. Um, it has a really generic title, and I, I don't mean to be critical of the movie because I, I actually think it's really good, but the movie is called September 11, The New Pearl Harbor. And it's literally five hours long. It's the most in-depth, detailed, like, 9-11 um, conspiracy documentary pretty much ever made. But uh, well, what's different about it? Because I honestly can't watch a five-hour movie right well, now. Well, no. What's different about it is the amount of, of detail they pour into it that is accurate. And then on top of that, it spans sort of the whole history of 9-11 truth from since the time that it happened. So it, like, addresses all the debunking claims on top of when it's presenting its questions. Well, that was Media Roots Radio. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone donate to MediaRoots.org uh, to see citizen journalism continue. Everyone check out our website, MediaRoots.org, if you want to contribute. Um, contact info at MediaRoots.org. Thanks so much for listening. And check out Breaking the Set, Abby's uh, show. And then I have a new album coming out tomorrow. Actually, it's a free download off Acroplane Records. And you can go get it at acroplane.org. So, everybody awesome. I cannot wait night. to hear it. Send that to me again. Good night, everybody. Good night. Yeah.